0: And welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Ah! Ah, wow, we're back. I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> storm be damned. We're still here. Yeah, we had to call up last week because Power Grid, apparently we live in a third world country where any calamity were involving more than uh, an inch of rain involves some white knuckled clutching of your power and the idea that you may be without power for several days. So we didn't want to take the chance. that so. uh, was lucky. We had a pretty swift recovery. Uh-huh. Yeah, we lost it was power beautiful. for a sec- few seconds. It was
1: beautiful outside, right up until it all thawed. And, uh, wow, what a
0: sheer volume of fallen limbs. Uh, well, like,
1: It's the hazards of living in the middle of an untrimmed forest.
0: <laughs> well, so we <we'll laughs> might as well just in, introduce ourselves. This is your first time here. You cannot talk about the Dice of Streaming podcast, of course, that's, that's the first rule of Podcast Club. We do not talk about Podcast Club. Actually, we do. So, there's a lot of new faces
1: here. So, some of you have been breaking the first and second rules of Podcast Club,
0: which we're happy you are. So, yeah. Um, I'm Randy, <laughs> and okay, that apparently is Angry Mike today. He showed up for the podcast. <laughs> uh, but, yes. yes, we were talking about the weather, which uh, old parts tend to do. And, uh, yeah, there was uh, quite the thing up here in Michigan. i um, having. Uh, Tree limbs crashing all around us that night. It was, uh, did make for a very comfortable sleeping time, but uh, the next day it kind of all melted off. So everything was fine. Just created uh, its own calamity and then we moved on. But yeah, we, short story, we weren't able to get it out. So,
1: yeah, our, our, our misfortune was that it struck just before the weekend, which, you know, uh, just before the weekend is our traditional, uh, current.
0: Uh, podcast meeting time that's our current model of getting the podcast out to our fans so we hope you enjoy the show today uh we got a little bit uh, of a different topic that we don't uh, normally cover which is we're going to be talking about professional or paid dming and how it's going to be affecting the hobby
1: yeah it's it's a legitimate phenomenon it is a thing of today it is not so isolated in occurrence. Uh, I had heard vague, scurrilous rumors of such things many years ago, but it was very, very rare. It was not what you would consider a genuine facet of the hobby per se, mm-hmm. more like a rare isolated incident or two. Now, it's a very legitimate part of you know, many people's uh, gaming experience or potential gaming experience as they find themselves joining the hobby. So we kind of almost have an obligation to have a look at this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not all bad and it's not all good. Okay. Just, just so you know, when right. we get to that in our, our uh, second segment, uh, that discussion, uh, you know, we're trying to keep an open mind and look at all the aspects.
0: Uh, but for now we've got some other news on the hook. Oh yeah. Well, we'll get into that. But also we have uh, our usual features of shenanigans and <laughs> bad production values well you can expect no less from the odio proctologist of gaming podcasts oh you thought your job sucked <laughs> well you had it coming we've had uh we've got a week off so yeah, you went right to it all right yep uh, proctologist i guess that you know, if you have to think about how bad your life is <laughs> and some of the choices you've made, at least you're not an odontologist. proctologist. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, there's a little reminder that you know, it's not as bad as you think it is.
0: Yeah, so... Um, before... Owl bear dentist. Oh. Does he even have teeth? You know what? No, a uh, <clears throat> owl bear pedicurist. Oh. And they oh. don't like those trimmers. <laughs> they just react with instant rage when
1: trimmers are turned on. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. More tranquilizers. I need a sleep spell. heightened.
0: <laughs> mm. Oh, for shame. But yeah, but I guess um, before we get into all of our nonsense, uh, let's talk to, let's visit the Astro Gallimancer. Oh, all right. And see what's in, in store for the future for our next podcast. The
1: Astragalomancer gazes into dice. Just divine the future. Everything's coming up sevens, baby. Oh. All right. The Astragalomancer divines. In our next podcast, we'll be looking at historical fiction uh, and oh. a, we'll be referencing a wide variety of historical fictional novels. Uh, that represent some of the great inspiration for anybody who is interested in mm. like the descriptive aspects of being a DM, the creative aspects of world building, and you know, just in general, if you're a gamer and you like that medieval esque atmosphere, uh, there are some classics that we would love to bring up. They didn't quite fit into the fantasy fiction or science fiction categories. Why? Because there is very little of any fantastic nature in any of them. There is nothing supernatural or genuinely mystical or anything like that. It is purely historical fiction, and it is still incredibly inspiring. So look forward to it
0: right and one of the things that historical fiction i think uh, gets a short shrift for in fantasy gaming circles is is that well there's no there's no magic or monsters i'm not interested i'm going to pass well okay but there is a certain amount of detail that they garnish their work with that gives you an insight into what a medieval society is even one with magic that exists alongside magic and other supernatural elements so I think it'll be worth listening, so hopefully you guys, our folks, will tune in. I don't want. They are some classic tales. Yeah, they're Cons- some classic tales, and we're, just as a warning, we will just peripherally mention Alexander Dumas uh, just as part of that, because well, he was writing fairly contemporary fiction at the time, but I think it's worth mentioning that he was also writing fiction that could be a historical, even if it did diverge a lot from uh, actual historical occurrences.
1: Well, it's still with us now. Uh, and here it is hundreds of years later, and it is still popular works of fiction. Uh, Were there, there are, musketeers? There yes. Are, yeah, these are non-magical uh, historical tales. So uh, that's going to be included. It may be a little aberrant in that it's not a modern author writing about something hundreds of years ago, but it's a superb tale just the same. And it qualifies because it's the, the kind of adventure writing that any dm can take inspiration from and oh
0: boy do we approve of that yeah so hopefully tune into that so i guess it's time to turn into action ogl news let's tune the channel yep here we are with uh gaming news so oh boy uh <laughs> where do we start well let's talk about the dnd movie i've seen the new trailer uh drop i have not oh oh okay well uh spoiler alert uh, there's a new trailer of them using the speak with dead spell and uh chris pines bard just uh, messing it all up in every way conceivable <laughs> what, you don't... get five questions really do i get five questions as a course yes so that's four correct <laughs> it squatters all of them and learns nothing <laughs> oh so, nothing. yeah you get to see it uh i badly paraphrase that but yeah he it's hilarious. So, it, I'm having good uh, vibes off of this. There's a lot <laughs> of things that are showing, like, yeah, that, that's something that's kind of happened when the DM wants to be a little bit of a dick and uh, players talk out of turn. Oh, yes.
1: Okay. And yeah, I mean, isn't that how I wound up burning the wish bill? No, just because like you I... wanted
0: to be a jerk that night. But hey, you know, I, I blamed the lack of cigarettes and the sleep for that one. But, uh... Well, I do play Yoru as an idiot, so I mean, <laughs> you just wanted to. Squeeze mm, out of a way. I wish I knew what to wish for. Ah, oh, Bam.
1: Granted, <laughs> you really should have worked on an escape
0: plan for getting out of this room. but yeah, yeah so that was guilty. Bit, that was a, a a bit of a fun thing, and of course, uh, walking through. ...retail stores seeing display cases of D&D monsters, gelatinous cubes, um, owlbear figures, and uh, the uh, nominal characters that they're building uh, this for is, is kind of in, in getting me ensued because even though maybe I, D&D isn't my main game, the fact that it's near adjacent to a lot of the games I like doesn't uh, take away from the fact that a lot of the jokes and a lot of the uh, drama that's going to be, I think, in here and also the spectacle is going to really translate well, I think, on a lot of tables. Regardless of what you're playing, as long as it's semi-fantasy. Hey, you know, I think it's partly that uh, the place you were born
1: uh, is always dear to you. Yeah. uh, You know, if you're from Toadstool, Nebraska, you know, you might still look back and go, man, sure miss home. And you may be somewhere else now, but home is, like, always going to be a party. of you. Uh, D&D is that for, you know, a lot of us. Uh, and I haven't really left yet.
0: No, I mean, whether you play Call of Cthulhu or Cyberpunk Red, it's a celebration of that gaming medium. And I'm pretty sure everybody, <clears throat> pardon me, Look in Cyberpunk Red. You can play a role playing. Your character is playing a role playing game called Elf Lines online. <laughs> so I don't want to hear it. You, yeah, you, you can use some of this material. Okay, Inception uh, level event there. Thank you, Artel
1: Sorian. I'm still not over that yet because uh, as we were examining that, uh, <laughs> I just loved <laughs> the uh, uh,
0: multi-meta,
1: You know, just peeling back the onion skin
0: oh yeah you know that you you make a big um you make a role-playing game about characters in a dystopian future using computer uh, architecture and sophisticated ai programs to interact with players and most of the time it's with net runners and brain burners and all that stuff but in this time you're actually creating characters who inhabit a fantasy world that exists only in the virtual reality of the matrix and it's a thing that your characters, your runners will do they, besides meeting up for their, uh, you know, monthly or weekly runs for their, uh, as edge runners. They also meet up to play Elfline online <laughs> and go on raids and adventures together. So, Hey, Bruce, yeah.
1: we don't have any missions this week. Uh, you guys all got some time off? So I was thinking like tomorrow we could, uh, could you know, log into Elflines, you know,
0: just could run a few adventures together. Let's yeah. get my elf paladin needs, uh, yeah, I guess we can go for that sword. New suit of armor. You're right. Yeah, it's been a while. New <laughs> of steam. Kill a few orcs. Yeah. Instead yeah. of shooting boosters in the head. Let's get, some, let's get some boss fights in. So, yeah. So, no matter what it is uh, that you do, make sure that, uh, I think it's going to be worth checking out. It already looks a damn sight better than the previous D&D movie. No matter how, oh, is.
1: look, uh, it, that part goes without saying that this was not a slapdash effort, uh, it, it was well planned. So, I, I can't vouch for the results of all that planning until I actually see it. I have mostly reserved judgment, uh, and on the original trailer, uh, the the scene with the owlbear druid, I i love that. I. People got upset. Oh, that's not a thing people can do, instantly, of course, the Internet proved that that was, in fact, a thing that you could theoretically do. Uh, like so many things in a fantasy game, uh, imagination is key. Uh, but as far as the graphics, I was impressed immediately. I was like, okay, that looked really cool. Uh, I, I feel like I would have as much fun watching that as I did watching Thor, or, sorry, uh, Loki get pounded into gravel. <laughs> by the Hulk, Ah, which that was one of those great moments of cinema where, like, a little part of me was just inside, like, okay. I Like, that was worth the price of the entire movie right there. Like, just five seconds of film was, like, the entire value. Everything I spent, including the extra money for popcorn in a beverage, all of it was worth it just to see this. Which, I also had that same response when they they had uh, Thor summoning lightning while led zeppelin played in the background uh so <laughs> uh, i needed oh, nothing yeah, else. you know you could have made like a two-hour loop of nothing but that and i would have sat there just like, this is the best day i've ever had <laughs> i'm so happy right now it's an almost krieger-esque i can only get just so erect <laughs> oh no! A little Sorry, this, a little discomforting there, but yeah. but hey, all right. D and D movie coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, but also going through and seeing like uh, toys in the toy aisle. It's it's a nice time to be. Also, there's uh, some nice uh, retro D and D blanket throws for about five bucks at Five Below, and I know where you <laughs> work there, so uh, get you one I of those. It's got the uh, uh, Trampier illustrations on it from the old Monster. Man. What? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They resuscitated the old Dave Trader. Yeah, it's got the lich and uh, a couple other monsters on it. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you know, not a bad... Uh, all right, uh, if I'm going to be marketed to, I, you know what? I appreciate uh, This is like a steak and lobster dinner. <laughs> you're going to treat me right. I, yeah, I, I
1: got to admit, uh, this is my okay boomer moment for me. Um, <laughs> you're like, a, okay, Gen Xer. Uh, the only real virtue of reaching our current age uh, in the United States at this time is that the gears finally shifted uh, so that all of the music for shopping and all of the targeted uh, like advertising is targeting our age group. Okay. That like, if you are in that late, very late forties, to like, uh, you know, early 60s zone Mm -hmm. that like roughly covers the Gen X era. We're the target marketing group. Yeah. Because beyond that is retired boomers who were our parents uh, and, you know, their time is limited. And uh, before that is really young working couples with kids who don't have a lot of disposable income And we're in that sweet spot that marketing loves. Yeah. So all of it is aimed at us. And after having spent, like, if you were Gen X, if you really had the Gen X experience, being ignored by everyone and devalued systematically by every single institution in existence has been our birthright. (laughs) And to have that reverse gears and go, okay, we finally noticed you're here. Well, thank you. It's about time. It only took me 50 years for somebody to yeah, go. Well, sure. Oh, but... Well, maybe you like stuff too, don't you?
0: But a big black dragon action figure hasn't been seen since the uh, LGN uh, Advanced Ninja Dragons toys. So I'm kind of nice. It's kind of nice to see some uh, toys that maybe kids will be actually be playing with. I know that toys are kind of dying out a little bit, but. I, I still think that, uh, you know, uh, throwing uh, toys in kids' hands uh, always does uh, me good, and it makes me feel better. So, you know, if oh, nothing else, sure. you know, Toys for Tots will benefit around Christmas time. Oh, hell yes. All right. So, yeah, the d d movie, I think it, the, the marketing is kind of jarring, but, uh, you know, I'm not not totally against it. I, I, there's a part of me that wants to rebel and say, oh, i are going to resist. But, you know, there's other parts that say, yeah, y'all say it's bad. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't mind. Um, some other things. So, yeah, uh Chaosum had a big announcement Monday. Uh, they're coming out with Cults of RuneQuest, they're announcing a 10-volume set, and they're starting with the first one, which is the cults of uh RuneQuest, the Earth Goddesses, which we'll cover. Uh, this will be available at Gen Con along with uh the Lightbringers. Um uh, all adjacent to it. Um, so you have two books to get and then, of course, this is going to expand rune quests with specific skills, rune spells and show them. Uh, they're going to have the 16 Earth cults, including Ilaria the Goddess of Love, Tychoratek, the Goddess of the Dead and Moran Gore, the Earthquake Goddess, along with Ernalda. Uh, and there'll be new skills and spells for characters to use and um, the lore, because, you know, Gloranta is all about the lore. That's going to be coming out. And so that looks pretty good. And they're pretty affordable. Um, the next one, The, the Lightbringers, which includes uh, Shalana Roy, the Goddess of Compassion, Lambert, the God of Thieves, and Hamach, the God of Death and War, as well as uh, Orlance himself. It's going to be in there. And uh, also, same format. So that's looking pretty good. And um, they also have a um, book that they just called Mythology, which will be released in the fourth quarter, and The Lunar Way, which will be in the first quarter of 2024. So that's their big one, as well as the Prosepedia, which is the uh, next uh, lore book that will put more uh, emphasis on some of the esoteric magic and cult lore that doesn't fit into the normal set of the rules and outside the scope of some of these volumes. So, mm. I mean, I'm a little so curious for, to
1: see what that one consists of. Huh. Although, like the cult books, look fantastic. Yeah, the, those I mean, are much more approachable right now.
0: Yeah, the prosopedia is a deeper dive into the lore. So, kind of a Glorantha Silmarillion. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> encyclopedia and it, it's an art book as well for the entire cult of RuneQuest. So, it's not, it's more for the Game Master resource. Ah. It dives into the, what the myth and myth making means in Glorantha and the world of. So, big brings releases. Some myth. So, yeah, some big releases in RuneQuest. So, we're going to be definitely looking forward to those. Really appreciate. Go, seeing, Chaosium, you know, go. Yeah, working with. Uh, I, I my first nda in the, in ever having to be signed was having to look at the being able to look at the beta and uh, i was really impressed because i have a, a player that likes to play earn the priestesses in request the and they were like oh, i wish there was more lore, and i couldn't say anything and uh, oh. i actually said well you know there's plenty in the rule book you just have to read from it because that's what the discussion was it's like how do you feel this uh, helps a player and i'm like yeah the." Instead of per, like, here's a bunch of new stuff that you should have probably got when you created your character. This is more presented as, here's stuff that you're going to get if you follow a deeper path to your god or goddess that's attached to the Earth column. So, so yeah, still like, um, it, it it keeps the rulebook main rulebook valid from an approachable stance. This is more yeah, deeper lore you, that you know you
1: you don't have to retro this in so roughly.
0: Yeah, you, you can if you want right away, but you, you have to understand there's a certain, um, when they say unlocking, they're not kidding. They mean that there's certain lores and uh, quests that you must achieve to get this stuff. So Okay, anyway, very which interesting. I, which I liked.
1: And, Way to go, RuneQuest, once again, making it uh, complex yet fun.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and so we talked about Pathfinder 2. We had some good experience with that. And just want to say that the Pathfinder Humble Bundle, so you want to play Pathfinder. Yeah, they extended it. It's been so successful. And you get so much for it that uh, it's kind of like, why aren't you in this? Even 5 bucks just gets you the core rulebook, the Beecherries and the starter set. So, well worth your time. And it's good to see if they got that extension. And we had a lot of good... Pushback, I'm starting to get into the second edition, too, and it's been a bit of, bit of an adventure. Might have to have a follow-up episode on that, but they also announced, uh, Paizo announced, uh, Starfinder Enhanced will be coming out uh, in uh, Gen Con as well, and this is a, oh, yes. kind of a reskin of some of the classes. Um, it's addressing some of the shortcomings and criticisms, which is kind of like Pathfinder Unchained for the first edition. And Some people speculate that... Uh, Pathfinder 2E is on the way, and for me, that couldn't get here fast enough because one of the things I like about the second edition is the action economy. And while you could graft it onto the existing Starfinder system, it would be a heck of a lot of work, and yeah, it would also constitute a complete redo of the entire way the game's played, but I think... Uh, I want to look at some of this and uh, see this Starfinder enhanced and see where that's going. (laughs) Farstucker rides again. Oh, (laughs) Um, yeah. Anyway, so not if you can help it. (laughs) um... Look, I'll do you a solid. I'll play a serious character next time. Oh, you can play Farstucker. I think what we needed, what we for that, for the beginning one, which was a a kind of grim and almost horrifying look at uh, what the compact worlds were up to the packed worlds were up to uh and almost falling apart they're we're really setting the tone like hey this is how all the packed worlds work with the undead faction wanting to just basically start destroying everybody again so that's where it started it wasn't quite uh the out of place for Stucker to find his way in there but it was a little bit of a stretch to say that yeah that my, that was his my prime. bright
1: light of comedy
0: uh, you know. the current one the drift crisis I think would have been perfect for him that level of humor and out gobsmacked absurdity and outrage would have been uh, his prime area <laughs> trying to organize flash dance mobs <laughs> yeah, while being attacked by devils from the nine hells so oh perfect <laughs> hey, who invited these guys <laughs> <laughs> oh you man know, party is going I'm going to skin you alive hey <laughs> don't tempt me with a good time you got to stop you got to stop with the dirty talk
1: <laughs> cuz I'm trying to have a serious conversation here and I can only divert just so much blood from my brain and still function so <laughs> you walk it back a bit Nympho. uh
0: Oh, you have them confused with their uh, off-associated uh, kindred evil female spirits, the succubi. <laughs> All right. But, yeah, so also uh, Wizards of the Coast has not publicly embarrassed themselves in checks notes <laughs> eight days. So, yeah, pretty good. Way to go. Uh, um,
1: and you know what? I kind of want to, like, just develop a system of, like, AA coins for them, you know, <laughs> be proud, you know, look, I mean, occasionally people stumble, but, you know, just have something around you that reminds you that like, Hey, this is how many days you got it right. Okay. A little affirmation. And I'm not poking fun. I, I mean that in a very serious way, which is like, you know, one, one very serious error can screw a person up for a very long time or an agency. And you know what, they give you a little pat on the back, you know, just remind you, hey just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you have to like let that be the definition of you from now on let's
0: let's move on all right well you know yeah i guess gotta get credit where credits due, but uh, i guess after coming off of a far stucker conversation <laughs> sarcasm meter is broken so <laughs> it, I, it, it is just, hard it, to tell is, when the is in play. Is <laughs> far in the red so yeah but so that's our uh, OGL. Uh, action news update for you. We're just uh, nothing really got uh, to talk about other than some new releases and uh, the D&D movie, which, yeah, we kind of got off in the weeds on that one. But I, I kind of liked where it went. I think that uh, it's, yeah, we're being marketed to, but, it, you know, when I see a, a a fleece throw at Five Below with uh, the Trampier, David Trampier Lichart from the first edition Monster Manual, <laughs> I, I got to get it. Pretty much helpless at that point. Yeah. Right? Whoop! It's instinct. Pow! I mean, five bucks. Come on. Yeah, well, you know, I can always use a fleece throw. Who can't? Been doing a lot of reading lately with the misses. So. <clears throat> oh, good you. Yeah, she's been uh, been checking out a couple novels. I was it, uh, I've been doing a lot of crazed scribbling. So. <laughs> Which, uh, in other words, is creative writing. What is so. it? I think the it's called Lattes and Legends. About a half. <laughs> Or an orc mercenary who wants to sell coffee in a fantasy city that doesn't know what coffee is, and her travails is <laughs> starting a business after being an adventurer, mercenary, and monster killer for all her years. No, oh, the the <laughs> bitter beans. Yeah. If you've got to, you know, dry the
1: beans and cook the beans and grind the beans, and, uh, it it does kind of hauntingly remind me of the old uh, Bob Newhart sketch involving. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> trying to exploit so
0: tobacco <laughs> oh, you, you put it in hot water and you drink it
1: so boiled bean juice
0: <sighs> Chris i
1: don't know what to tell you but I, I i don't i don't feel like there's a future in this <laughs> boiled bean juice and burnt weeds
0: <laughs> well hey marketing Advertising, just like that meme I put on my page where about the uh, vacuum repair company, everything we sell sucks. (laughs) Well, it's true. I mean, they're not wrong, (laughs) yeah, but they got a marvelous sense of humor about it. All right, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our uh, OGL roundup. So, we're just going to move on and uh, get right into the topic. So, we're going to take a break. So, stick around. And oh. we're back. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> Shame on us. <laughs> okay. Now we're talking pay-to-play DMing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The meat of the matter. taken right in. It's, wow. I, As I had mentioned
1: in the, the opening, this is a phenomena that wasn't non-existent in previous decades, but it was very small. Okay, one example, if we were to give a historically relevant example, would be the play-by-mail campaigns, uh, which were, this was a very real thing in the 1980s. Uh, You would find them periodically advertised in uh, Dragon Magazine. Yeah. And the contribution, of course, was very small, individually. However, as the DM or the coordinator of this campaign uh, proceeded to do the letter writing, like snail mail letter writing, I kid you not. Okay, just wow. There's some gamer archaeology here. You've got to go to the Cretaceous period for this. But if you had a hundred or two hundred players, and their contribution was fifty cents each, and like you know, they sent letters back and forth. Uh, and it, like the, the fee was effectively you know like monthly or yearly if that was their plan right uh, you began to see this pile up into a substantive amount of money now therefore I contend that the concept is something that has been present in gaming for a long time it is not absolutely brand new it's not that no one has ever done it before so I I, I reject the implication like oh this has never happened before oh it's terrible. Eh, it has its place. It has been a part of the hobby for a very long time. So
0: I, I'm not inclined to reject it completely out of hand. Yeah, I can remember from those days playing uh Heroic Fantasy from Flying Buffalo, which was a dungeon dolphin toll. You encountered another group of players who were, well, another group, another player in his group, and then it just became a PvP kill fest, so wasn't very entertaining from that point of view, but, you know, where uh, they wanted, obviously, to have a uh, a co- more cooperative areas that uh, you had to team up to defeat some of the, the monsters, but then the, the fight over loot ensued, so then the knives came out. Oh, boy. But it was less, I guess, uh, a DM moderation, more than just a kind of a, Uh, A moderated world of players killing each other. Welcome
1: to MMORPGs on paper sent by snail mail.
0: Yeah. You would send send in your action and uh, have each one of your uh, characters uh, perform an action during that round. Whether it was attacking, fleeing, using missile combat, or meleeing, Mm -hmm. casting spells. And then you would get your results back. So it's pretty cool um it's time novel like i said until you ran up against a notorious group of players from uh, around the flying buffalo area in arizona who were pretty much uh, dedicated to making sure anybody that they that wasn't aligned to them or they didn't like or know was run out but uh, that's 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 a story for another time i play by uh male adventures with the mckenzie twins <laughs> God, the McKenzie brothers. Well, I had to ally with them because, you know, going solo was basically a lone wolf is easy prey.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, at least it gives you a a period, there is a brief period of usefulness to them that allows you to build up and prepare for their inevitable betrayal. It'll happen. (laughs) Uh, and we speak of this as if we know such people. Yes. Uh, we've all been on the receiving end of a grand Mackenzie betrayal, which was never unexpected
0: because it never ended any other way. Um, well, yeah, it wasn't really so much a, a DMing one-on-one experience. And so I guess uh, like, in, like, as you said, in the late eighties, there were a few people that advertised their services as, uh, yeah, DMs, dungeon masters, and yeah, that Venn diagram overlap between the BDSM community and Dungeons and Dragons players—they both have a dungeon master or mistress, and uh, the DM is in that one completely different, but may share the same name. No. So that, <laughs> <my> <laughs> cringe-worthy detail aside, let's mention the fact that yeah, it existed, but it was a rarefied thing, and most of the people who did it had they brought miniatures they brought uh, not just play mats but uh, terrain and stuff so it was more of us an experience at that time Um, because they were not just uh, sharing their ability to run a game but they were very uh, prepared and spectacle or, or visually oriented events that they were hosting so by paying them that money, uh, you were going to be able to be treating yourself to an experience you might not normally have if you don't have access to that terrain and to those painted miniatures and you know, some of the lighting effects that they use. Well, now let's throw in a second concept in terms of professional DMing
1: that has some relevance as an antecedent to this era of... Okay, maybe pay- I got too far ahead of you, sorry. No, no, I, I you're not... Far ahead, you actually phased into exactly what my next point was going to be. What well, I was um, useful, Whoa. yeah, I, I know, right? I'm as shocked as you <laughs> threw me off my game for a minute. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, bro. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm talking about the DM who historically uh, either had a contribution that people were expected to make, very small, that uh, then invested that into their craft. To make better the presentation that they're about to deliver. And this would include people who formed clubs and guilds and organizations that had a very small nominal fee that, like, you know, people pay up once a year uh, or, you know, uh, X amount per games, like, you know, once every two months or quarterly or something like that. Like, okay, here, like, everybody throws their $1 in the kitty. Uh, and, you know, now mind you, this this is like early 1980s prices, okay? So uh, that actually did add up to a, enough to buy some interesting gamer tools, new campaigns, new adventures, uh, accessories, you know, table stuff. Oh, sure. Uh, and that tradition to some degree has continued into the present day. Uh, and also in the the facet of semi-pro DMing, uh, compensated dming rather than just paid uh getting some benefit out of it going to conventions and like having a great deal of your expenses comped because you're there hosting and dming games that people could sign up for Uh, now obviously there's not a big like there's no cash return you're still spending money to go to a place and have a good time yourself uh but you know your entry fee is free like you're You're not paying for table space. They're comping you to show up and be there and entertain other people and be a part of the event. Uh, That may not qualify as like actual, you know, major financial incentive since it's the kind of thing that only pops up once in a while. Uh, But it was a form of like, you know, valuable compensation for being a DM and certain, uh, Uh, Yeah, more than a few of us here, we've done exactly that. You know, not, you know, (laughs) uh, we're not. Oh, I have never soiled my hands with like any form of wealth. Yeah, uh, don't expect, don't expect any of that. Uh, We've, we've actually both been at cons and like personally had the benefit of like, all right, I came to this con, uh, and was expected to run like three games over three days, and. That is why I didn't have to pay the like ticket price to get in here. That's that's a thing. So yeah, now we're starting to work our way to that final segment, which brings us to
0: like real life today. Well, yeah, I think that maybe there's a bit of a, a purity culture comment about well, you you know, you should dungeon master game mastering, dungeon mastering should be done for only friends and only under certain circumstances. Taking money is kind of Soiling the craft, but I, you know, I think there's a bit pretentious. I think that it, especially in today's economy, we have the gig economy going on, so whether you're, uh, Uber lifting or ship shopping, whatever it is that, uh, you know, you got a side hustle going on. If you can, my father said, if you're good at doing something, never do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah.
1: Um, I appreciate that. Uh, I I Honestly, I don't want to rebut the argument that like you should do it because you love it. Because I actually agree with the sentiment. I'm I'm not going to be unforgiving to people who have found ways to make a hobby a thing that also supplements a little income. Or at least offsets the expense of the hobby so that they can continue to enjoy it. Not going to criticize them. But... I do want to take a firm stance on that one point, which is, if you don't take great pleasure from doing it, don't do it. Get away. You know, don't don't be the person who like just hate humps a hobby. <laughs> you hate know, to humps, just yeah. squeeze a little loot out of it. Yeah, um, how to?
0: Uh, there's another book we have on the shelf here about how to turn your nerd passions into uh, money, monetize them. And one of the big warnings they have is don't let it become a trap. That destroys what you love, which you know, I that, feel that, like that is the exact thing I'm warning against. Right, is. And, you know, don't let it. Uh, you know, this this is your main source of income. You have to do this. You know, always do keep your passion alive, and also manage your expectations accordingly. And, and if you do those in balance, or when you get out of balance with it, uh, learn how to rein it in and pull back a little bit. I think that's important. Whether so. Talk about the specifics of professional DMing, paid DMing, as they're called.
1: Yeah, here's the new and modern phenomenon, which, I mean, we really owe it to the evolving technologies that made virtual tabletops a thing. And then, you know, in the the COVID crisis era, so many people could not meet at tables that virtual tabletops, which were a nascent field, took off like a
0: shot. Oh, yeah. Uh, Whether you're using Roll20, But it's some of the other ones, oh, Jesus! it always pales me. I'm. It's just not my thing, you know? It's not my thing. Uh, I use a Discord app and just basically see it with the mind. It, um, well, and d Beyond, of course. Yeah, d d you know. Beyond, of course. Yeah, I can't, can't avoid that one. <clears throat> but, but you can the, also talk about, like, whatever uh, virtual tabletop you use is really a, let people unleash their imaginations and also use uh, published and prepared... Uh, adventures now some of this is like uh, as i started to learn, as i'm starting to learn about the foundry uh vtt virtual tabletop is that it's a initial investment of about 50 bucks it's a one-time p you don't have to continually pay for it but the modules the add-ons and stuff like that can start to add up after a while um i understand that there's oh, a couple ones out there like the nexus which is now in uh just coming out of alpha and the beta if you have bought Previous source material, uh, they give you a discount, so I think maybe that's a, a good one to go with. And you also have to find hosting things, so these do have a monetary investiture. And I think that asking players to who want to participate in this is not a bad way to go. Yeah. But what constitutes a professional DM? In as far as that is, or a full paid gig DM is putting yourself out there. It's setting expectations i'm going to use this it means that you can't just ad hoc it you just you that prep time just isn't like a good idea it's absolutely necessary so that's what sets you apart from an amateur not saying that amateurs aren't fun but if you look at like matthew mercer we we
1: encourage anybody who is like in that non-pro status you know if if you're just one of us joes who loves to play a good game by all means like get in the ring and do it if, if you can financially yeah. undertake that on your own and do it for love. However,
0: um, yeah, like now we talk about guys like Mercer. Who yeah, are if are you think of me Matthew, Mer- Matthew Mercer, and here we're invoking the Mercer effect. You don't think he, that there is a certain preparatory expectation before every one of their uh, live games. You're fooling yourself, and they say, Oh, he's, he's just scripted. They're all actors, they all know what they're doing. Yeah, there are some scripted events in there, they're absolutely. They made no, no secret about it, there's no bones about it. They know but there a also is, is a, a lot of preparation on his part, and also there's some secrecy is still involved that they don't know how it's going to happen because you want that actual live act reaction. They have very solid ideas on where they're going to go next,
1: uh, what it is that they're walking into. They usually have a very, very firm idea. And they also have a degree of comfort with their characters and an
0: understanding of what crises may be impacting upon them very shortly. But a lot of it is also just where the dice roll and the decisions (laughs) of that moment land them.
1: Yeah, and there's only
0: so much you can pre-plan. Right, so... (laughs) What I'm trying to say is he's working with a group of people who have an understanding or at least have a, they don't know the specifics or where it's going to end or how it's going to play out, but they definitely know what direction they're headed. As a professional DM, you have to take that level of preparation time to not only be adaptable, so if they want to go, you know, your kind of script or your plot, uh, alludes that they're going to go to Fantasy City A. And they don't want to go to Fantasy City A. They want to go to, you know, uh, off uh, just an off-the-cuff mention, small river community of otter folk. Because it You're, sounds cool. Because it sounds cool. You have to be able to adapt to that. And so uh, oh. players, and also if they're paying for the experience, will know where... You're just making it up on the fly, and we're t- caught totally unprepared. To as opposed to where this is seamless, and it seems like you are no, uh, there's no transition period between their new idea of visiting Otter Town.
1: Yeah, uh, the level of detail suddenly uh, diminishes. Rapidly. Right, they will know. But you know, if you if you can do this joyfully, you can probably get away with it. But you know, if, if you're not ready for that level of homework, if you're not ready for that level right. of detail. For that level of advanced prep, this professional level, you know, like pay-to-play DMing,
0: may not be for you. because right. You do. I mean, your friends and, and and normal gamers will forgive you if you have to take five minutes out and prepare something, or you kind of ham and haw and like, um, 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 um. Okay, I was totally unprepared for this. Yeah, that
1: that is less forgivable. Uh, when you're on the clock. Right. And that's the kind of pressure we're talking about. Sucking the fun out of the game. You're know, like having a mercenary attitude or a, or an attitude of like the exhausted factory worker. Like, Oh, just gotta come on here and push the clock and roll these dice. Oh, geez. Like, Oh my God, that would be my nightmare. Like, wait, you, you turned to the thing I have loved since childhood into a source of misery and contention. Oh, I'm out.
0: <laughs> no way. couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Sisyphean uh, edict <laughs> sent upon you. You must push this. You must do this. Oh. Versus like you want to do it. And, you know Maybe hey, we can talk about some existentialistic Hegelian uh, ideas about whether or not you uh, the choice of words there. You must do this or you want to do that. <laughs> I'm down for that. I had a book off- of Hegel in the car. Somebody broke into the car and left another book. Yeah. Yeah. They- <laughs> So, yeah, we can talk about that, but I want to also make mention of a brief point that it's perspective. And that's where I wanted to put that in there is that
1: how do you want to
0: frame it? Your mental state going into this has to be pure, that you are here as a professional. Most of the time, players will perform to your expectations or your script because most people who they're happy to play. They're ready to be there. And as long as you're a good host of the game, and I don't mean just hosting at your house, but you're you're there to put on a little bit of a show and a spectacle, they're going to be very appreciative of that. And they're not going to push too many boundaries, but you may find yourself as a getting into the professional DM gig, being pushed into areas where you feel uncomfortable with and you know, because you're being paid, you feel an obligation to perform to those standards and expectations.
1: Yeah, I want to reference one of our very early episodes called Session Zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, way back. It, scroll, scroll. Oh, uh. <laughs> the weight of years. Just keep scrolling through the, uh, scrolling through the centuries uh, into the past, and you will find an episode called Session Zero, which is about setting expectations. Uh, you know, preparing people for realistic assumption, assumptions about what they're going to experience and what you expect from them as a DM uh, and vice versa, what they expect from you as players. Working those things out in advance becomes more critical than ever in a pay-to-play environment. You know, like, because we talked about session zero in the sense of like you're about to sit down with a bunch of people and it's a brand new campaign and it's going to be all new characters and Nobody knows what's going on yet. Are there homebrew rules they should be made aware of? We were talking about that for a thing amongst people who were going to be more like friends. And now here we're talking about it in a very different sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a professional atmosphere, that counts many times more. Uh, If your intention is, you're like, look, uh, I'm going to be compensated hourly for this. uh, And, you know, that maybe it's not going to be a ton of money, but if I'm doing this, five nights a week uh, it adds up to a little supplemental income okay you know it's not a bad idea but that session zero stuff becomes incredibly relevant
0: yeah and as also as your selling uh selling point on yourself as a uh, putting yourself out there setting those expectations right from the get-go i'm an old school G- gm who kills his players often If you say that right off the bat, and then you do, in fact, follow through on that, people won't be upset, and they know what they're in for. Whereas opposed, like, oh, I'm just a a regular old gamer Joe who just uh, plays by the book and and lets the dice decide where where the game goes. And then you end up, you know, just playing in old school style where it's a character funnel murder fest. (laughs) Players will be upset and uh rightly so because (laughs) well i told them my expectations yes but you have to be specific tell them how it is you're going to play and also be adaptable say like oh i play to a variety of styles people like hey i want to have a storytelling experience i want to explore a fantasy world i want to go into a place and explore it and uh, be enthralled and fall in love and also uh, be excited and scared all at the same time yeah listen to those people but again it, it depends i mean we're putting a lot out there that may, yeah, not you may have have any real grounding.
1: yeah you may have competing player interests where like a lot of people different you know it, especially in an online scenario with a group of strangers you may have people with wildly divergent types of interests that you then have to stitch into an event uh, and i don't know if they'll be back every week same cast of characters you Know it tends to be an ebb and flow as people come and go, uh,
0: but yeah, <laughs> yeah, which kind of brings Tough. to next point is when we're putting out there all these ephemeral possibilities and trying to talk about things that we're it's almost like we're shadow boxing with ourselves about trying to find something to land on as a point. It makes sense to factor these in that you have to be precise, you have to uh, advertise your expectations as well as put out there the various ideas and notions that what you're going to be doing and also adapt to other players. Now, all that mouthful said. I think one of the easiest ways to do this is just have a set campaign world, whether you're using like, hey, I'm playing old school Greyhawk or I'm making my own Mythmere, my own world of my own devising. I think that's essential more than anything else is having a way that gives a consistent and yet open world Uh, feel to how you play so that if players leave and new ones join the setting remains consistent and there's a lot of tools I think it's a world builder puts out there that uh, when I was looking at my old school essentials campaign it allows you to build a website and for a nominal fee about 20 25 bucks uh, players can start their own blog and web page entries into your campaign page so, you not only get uh, access to high quality map making tools, but you also get to layer it with sectors like a, where the players can investigate the lore and prehistory without having to have you at the table explaining everything oh. or access to the notebook.
1: Yeah, it, it is per- perpetually available, uh, much like a rule book would be. Now, I wanted to ask a question about uh, your thoughts. Uh, you know, as as we wind this sort of towards a close.
0: Uh... Oh, excuse me, it's called World Forge. Ah. And uh, you can basically uh, just start building your world from scratch and have all sorts of things on there. It, it, it works really well. And it's not too bad of a entry price. I would definitely consider that if you're looking at that. But I'm sorry to cut you off.
1: Well, as we wind towards our close, I, I wanted to take a moment to prognosticate about, you know, where is this going? I mean, you know, just, just superficially, uh, do you think this is a real flash in the pan that like, you know, that the concept of the, you know, paid DM as a sort of, you know, paid performance artist, mm-hmm. uh, which <laughs> it isn't much different from pole dancing.
0: <laughs> okay, where <fair>.
1: um, <laughs> uh, hey, it's an, it's an acquired skill, okay One, it's not as easy as it looks. it is a balancing act uh, and being entertaining while you do it is not as easy as it looks from the surface. So yeah uh, fair. you know there there are some commonalities there. Do you think this little phase of the paid DM thing is a flash in the pan, or do you think that this is going to be an expanding
0: facet of the game? All right. Well, a little self-reveal here. Um, I've kind of given up on uh, trying to think about things uh, outside of my scope of learned and acquired knowledge. And this is one where I I have completely, like, the past... 10 years have demonstrated to me i have no idea what i'm talking about when it comes to the mind of gaming and, and direction it's been going into because it's been so many twists and turns okay i've been wrong on a lot of things but i will say to give my unqualified informed opinion, <laughs> uninformed opinion <laughs> the only kind we have yeah <laughs> i i see uh this is expanding a little I think that there will, like with the world for you just talked about, I think that there's a future for it. And I think some people are already starting to anticipate that it's dependent a lot on the Internet. It's uh, the, of course, the approachability of new. Look, I don't know smartphones now uh, in 10 years, we're going to look at them completely differently. I think that the emerging technology, the way it's changing, uh, not only the way we absorb information, but the way we uh can interact with other people is changing and uh, i i think it, it is there is a future for it whether it can be developed and um and here's the thing is monetized that's a whole different thing i think that for the most part most people will be dungeon mastering and playing for free oh absolutely i was uh,
1: for my personal stance on that that question my take uh was that i don't predict a nosedive in the number of people playing around tables for free. I do think there will be like a slow and inevitable growth of people making use of online resources in order to game, but it won't be as strong in the compensated category as it will be in the uncompensated category. Right. that uh, you know, the the consensus, the trend that i see most right now is people making use of technology to overcome the fact that they can't be there in person with each other Uh, and they're not letting that stop them from gaming they're like okay you know what so we're all in different locations like you're in south carolina and i'm in florida and like he's in new york and uh, he's in oregon and she's over in you know saskatchewan canada but we're gonna game tonight and Ain't nothing stopping us. Right. I love that. I passionately Gamers will love that that is right. possible.
0: 80, by any means necessary. So.
1: And so, you know, using these resources uh, at the lowest cost possible and not using them for profit is honestly the overwhelming. And I mean like 90 plus percent of the activity there. Yeah. Uh, the compensated DM category is still a very small niche so while i do see some foreseeable growth uh I, I think it's a little rosy and optimistic to start thinking that like
0: oh this is the gold mine waiting to happen it's just waiting for the great leap forward yeah I, I you think might like anything like a gig economy if you manage it properly and uh, harbor your expectations accordingly i think you'd be okay if you wanted to do it as a gig i i don't i, I I don't know. Even I've given up on trying to predict where anything goes anymore. It, it's, I used to think that I had a, a an informed opinion on things, and I've now, as I've gotten older, become very aware that I don't know what I'm talking about ever, <laughs> and never really did. So, that's yeah, that's fine,
1: fine stoicism there. That <laughs> like if if you or what was it Seneca the if you ever. If people appear to consider you wise, distrust yourself. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All yeah. right. But I think I, that sums it up. So, yeah, manage your expectations. I think there's money to be made, but it's not going to chase anybody else out. But we're running out of time here, so we're just going to wrap it up. We'll see you next week, hopefully. And until then, may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. Roll. We're out. See ya.